0: There's a couple of things I need to hit on. Do you still take a nap at your desk every day?
1: <laughs> wow, you guys are just tea after tea after tea <laughs> after tea.
2: <laughs> no, this is, this is good. No, this is good. I like talking about napping. Um, I, I do, I continue to take a nap every day. My need to take a daily nap is actually one of the reasons, you know, I had to start my own company, right? because, you know when you start your own company, you can take a nap whenever you want. I'll probably be taking a nap after this. I mean, you are actually cutting into my nap time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, that's that's how much I wanted to be on this show.
0: Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined by my podcast producer extraordinaire, Sylvie Lubau. Sylvie. Oh, what? <laughs> Who? are you that's how you say your name right Lubao. oh yeah you know i've had a few different
1: friends who have listened to the show two thumbs up (laughs) oh wow um but they're always like i've been saying your last name wrong my whole life (laughs) and i'm like well guys it's a funny story i too have been saying my last name wrong my whole life so we're just all names are cool that's, All names that's are where cool. We're at. Yes. All pronunciations are cool.
0: All pronunciations of Sylvie's name, cool. Everyone else, figure out what their name is. Don't call <laughs> me Savage, Savage. Sauvage. Call me, call me Savage. Chris Savage. That's we're not, we're not changing my name, but your name constantly changing, constantly changing. Um, well, speaking of someone who's constantly changing what they're doing and has done a lot, our guest today, Walter Chen. Walter is the manager of Golden Walk, uh, which is his investment vehicle that allows him to invest in lots of early stage companies. He started some companies inside of Golden Walk. It's an exciting thing that he's doing. Very passionate investor. Um, And he's also a 3X founder. He's currently the CEO of a company called Sacra that he started, which is a digital platform to provide private market research. So it helps people understand if they're trying to join, decide which private company to join, invest in, pay attention to, partner with, integrate with, all that kind of stuff. Like they write the research on private companies that we all would read if we're investing in public companies. He's he's got a lot of uh, plates in the air, Walter. Is that the saying?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Spinning Balls plates in the air. Yeah. Uh, oh, you were thinking of the sticks and the. Okay, you know good, what I it, like it is? It. I like it's
0: it. not plates in the air, is it? <laughs> it's not. Got... <laughs> He's got a lot of balls in the air. He's got a lot of plates spinning on sticks. He's Walter Chen, everyone. So, we've got a great interview for you. Um, But, Sylvie, (gasps) what's got you talking too loud these days? You know what?
1: I'm going to kick it to you today because I feel like for the last couple of episodes, it's been you asking me. So, I'm going to turn the table. I'm going to flip the script. Okay, flipping the script. What's got you? What's got you talking too loud?
0: Should I talk again about another physical product? Is that what I should talk about? (laughs) I
1: mean, I think I'm going
0: to. I'm going to talk about (laughs) e-bikes.
1: Okay. E-bikes.
0: We just got an e-bike. It is so fun. And it is like the minivan of e-bikes. It's called a turn, T-E-R-N. And you can have both kids on the back. So this morning I took Zoe to school, uh, biking up this giant hill on this thing. But Olympia was also with me. like So both my kids are in the back of this thing. And we're just ripping down the road at like 18 miles an hour. <laughs> Damn. And it's That's so, impressive. It's so fun. It's ridiculous. I'm really enjoying it. But I, I do want to respect your nap time. I an
1: electric bike when I was in San Francisco a few years ago. So I, uh, I know the feeling. It is quite fun. I was a bit accident prone on oh, no. the
0: bike. Oh, boy.
1: I, I definitely fell at one point. Oh, boy. And uh, instead of helping me up, my sister just filmed me and laughed. So, you know,
0: classic your sister. Classic. Classic malls. Classic malls. Malls, what are you doing? What are you doing to Lubao? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the point is
0: the point is we need to transition back to Walter. That is the point. Yeah, that's the point. So we have an amazing guest. Great interview. I can't wait for you to listen to our conversation with Walter Chet. Walter, welcome. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for being here. Um, You and I go way back um, way way back, um, but for someone who has not met you, or for our listeners who don't know you, can you share like who you are, what you're doing with Sacra, what you're doing with Golden Walk?
2: Yeah, starting off with the the hard questions. Who,
0: who are I? you? <laughs> <laughs> is Walter?
2: Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, so uh, I guess work wise, I'm the co-founder of a company called Sacra, which is a research platform for uh, private market investing. And uh, my co-founder is Jan, who um, was an early employee at my previous company, which was called Animals, um, which is a content marketing agency, a fast-growing agency that um, is being run now by uh, Devin Bramhall and Haley Bryant. And then I'm sort of like, uh, you know, chairman of the board or whatever. And then... Uh, what? No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I do some investing through this vehicle called Golden Walk, mostly uh, early stage companies. But now I'm basically investing in anything, so, uh, so yeah, any stage, um, really, any anything, and then trying to also start companies, help you know people start companies, and use capital to sort of like you know bring us all up. And it's it's funny because you you covered a lot there, yeah, Um, and you
0: covered obviously SACRA very briefly, but like research um, and analysis for private markets, like, and I, I assume you know this is like helping companies that are not public and other people understand their businesses so that they could invest? Or what, what is it exactly?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question, because we're um, uh, pre-product market fit. So um, someone will listen to this like in a, in a month and be like, go to the Sacker website, and it'll be like, uh, you know, ghost kitchens for, you know, <laughs> for like, uh, Chinese food or something. So yeah, the basic idea is that in the public markets, you have disclosures that are required by the SEC. And then. Uh, there's research that's done on those disclosures and that informs investors and creates like an ecosystem of transparency. Um, and I think it's a very powerful force in sort of like capital formation, you know, liquidity and stuff like that. Um, but in the private markets, it's very opaque. It's more about who you know, and, and your connections and your ability to get access to information and to, to management. Um, so we're trying to bring a little more transparency, shed a little more light into it by uh, using our ability to gather information, both public and sort of you know, non public information and uh, publish research on companies and use that to, you know, sort of facilitate liquidity and uh, bring more capital into the private markets. I mean, there's already a lot coming in, but help, you know, capital allocations. Help people understand. Yeah. And then, exactly, exactly. And
0: then, so it's interesting because this is the newest thing you're doing. But then you, you started and grew animals, like a very, very successful content marketing agency, still growing a lot. But knowing you, I know you incredibly well um, and have, have been with you a bit on this journey with animals. And like one of the things I feel like that's interesting and I wonder if this is kind of played into the role of deciding to do SACRA is like, you saw so many different private companies. Actually, you're the person often who said like, hey, Chris, I just saw this company Airtable. I think it's gonna <laughs> be huge. Or like you, you told me about a lot of companies really early. Are, the, are these linked? Like, did you see these companies and realize like, just because you're in this position with animals that you got to see these companies early, like you had a an idea of what was going to be successful, is that what led to
2: sacra? yeah, um I, I think that's overstating it a bit I, I think I wouldn't give myself that much credit, um, but I think there are kind of two components being able as animals to partner with early stage companies, get to know them, see them grow um, and help them grow. I think was really inspiring um, and also kind of had me thinking. I like that. I like building relationships with founders, you know, and I had maintained, like with you, you know, we had a relationship over many years, and it's one of the most gratifying parts of, you know, building a company and doing this whole thing. So uh, I thought that I could sort of bring those relationships I'd built um, into kind of like aligning with founders, aligning with management to help them share information on how their company's doing, publish research um, in collaboration with companies in in ways to shed more light on, you know, how companies are performing, et cetera. So, yeah, those things are definitely linked. Um, And then the other piece is that, you know, I always kind of see this at the end of the day, which is like, you know, people don't think very highly of content marketing, right? I mean, part of it's very poorly branded, you know, content marketing doesn't sound cool. But the thing I found over and over is like, for example, now, you know, as a, someone who works on Sacra, I find that investment banking is just like glorified content marketing. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like, you know, content marketing that you do with rich people. Like equities research, you know, it's just basically all content marketing. Um, everything is like content marketing, you know, in what? a way. So, <laughs> so uh,
1: Wait, can, can you break that down more? Like, how, how are they similar?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in the public markets, you know, there's a similar kind of uh, problem where to publish research on a company, Oftentimes it's predicated on access to management. Um, and so then you have these kind of like mixed incentives where you, you need to sort of align with management in a way um, so you can get access to them, but you're also selling your research um, you know, to the buy side. And so they, they need to think that in some sense, you know, there's some amount of independence. So the similarity is that while equities research is positioned as um, objective, there are all, all these underlying mixed incentives and, and what makes it effective research at the end of the day is that it kind of does the thing that you want it to do. It's still instrumental. Um, however, you're able to deftly navigate and frame output as not explicitly trying to get someone to do the thing that you want them to do, right? So like, it, it, similarly in content marketing, it's like, if you just be like, oh, buy Wistia, it's like the greatest video product ever, like embedded on your website now, like no yeah. other product is good. Um, <laughs> No one's going to read that, right? No one's going to find that interesting. But if you, uh, you know, talk about, let's say, you talk about the mission of how important you know, making your marketing human is or talking about, let's say, uh, the growth of marketing as a segment online and why, you know, why it's growing, et cetera, even though someone knows that you are a marketer at Wistia and that you have this underlying uh, mixed interest, they might still be interested and believe and be persuaded by what you said if it's persuasive, you know, and if it's framed in the right way. So that's kind of, uh, that was really long winded. I don't even know if I actually know what I'm talking about at this point. Is that, (laughs) where was that helpful or no? Did that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think I followed. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just to say back, I feel like you're, you're basically saying that like content marketing can get, and I agree with you that people look at it and they can see it as like a negative thing. And when you realized, I think, in the world that you've entered into with Sacra and like public market investing, you can look up information on any stock. And most of the information says you should buy or hold it. And the reason that is, is because people have a connection to the company in some way. And that is actually just content marketing called like analyst reports. Exactly. And so you're seeing that this is like another way of providing value to these companies, because most of these companies that we, you and I talk about, Walter, um, and that we follow in the tech world, most of them are private. That's right. And so they have no way of like putting their message out to the world if they are trying to raise money or they're thinking about providing liquidity for employees or something like that. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) so, <laughs> I like that dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have, you have Sakura, you have animals. I, I also want to talk about people because, you know, you talk about like, it's fun to hang out with these different people, but I also know you, Walter, and I feel like you don't run around just making like a million friends with people you don't like, like you're pretty selective in terms of who you spend your time with. So how much of it, seeing so many of these companies early, getting an inside view and how do they operate? How much of the success of startups do you think is driven by the people? And how has that motivated you in your own investing?
2: Yeah, this is a great question. I mean, this is a lesson I'm trying to learn. Um, I feel like I have a, I mean, everyone thinks this though. It's like with driving or whatever, you know, 80% of people think they're great drivers. Um, I feel I have a strong intuitive feel for people, but that kind of of goes against me sometimes. I think the dynamic I keep experiencing, and this is something I've been thinking about recently that I've been trying to do better on is when I get on a call with a founder, I often, yes, I mean, this program is called Talking Too Loud. So then the number one thing I want to do on this uh, podcast while I'm here today is talk louder, talk the loudest. That's my goal. Um, but the thing that happens is I get on a call with a founder and I really like them and I get really excited by what they're working on and I believe that it will work. You know what I mean? So I often, one, I can convey too much enthusiasm and sort of give people the wrong impression, like a little bait and switch, you know, where I you know, give people the wrong impression that I'm in when I'm not because I'm so excited
0: you're you're easily excitable
2: yeah exactly exactly Um, and then I often find that if I let it sit for a week or whatever then you know then I may feel differently about it that being said most of the good things I've done have been relatively impulsive so (laughs) um, sometimes I will get on a call with the founder be super excited about it and then I'll say oh you should talk to my friend my friend will talk to them and they'll give me a more sober assessment um and one thing that I found in that kind of getting the sober assessment from the friend is that friends often will um, point out different things that they see in the founder that maybe I overlooked because I didn't really ask them any hard questions or because I was more just excited. Um, and so I often find that if I like the person and I like their vibe, then I kind of talk maybe focus more or excessively on the actual idea or the you know the thing that they're working on, and I I believe that it will work. And uh, so so this is kind of like how it's how it's sort of a flip side problem, which is like, I think I relate well with founders, but then I often tend to like sort of believe too much in them. Maybe, I mean, there's nothing wrong with believing. Well, isn't
0: that what an angel investor is?
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's like, that's why why the name exists. Exactly, exactly, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, so I'm just working on kind of just like making sure that I don't, uh, you know, give the wrong impression that I still follow up. And that I think the key for me is like, and this is the fundamental thing, it's like, um, is not being transactional. You know, like, you don't necessarily have to help and support a founder that you don't invest in, you know what I mean? But you ideally, you still respond to their emails and don't treat it like, oh, yeah, now that I'm not interested, I'm done with you. Like, I discard you as a human, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so at the end of the day, too, you can't worry too much about what other people think about you. But I think for myself, it's just like, if you're too transactional, ultimately, it's just like, it doesn't feel right. You know, it doesn't feel right. So that was like a ramble. I don't even know where I ended up. Sorry. What do you think? <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I think what you're saying, what I'm hearing is like the same person I I know who is extremely optimistic. And when you connect with someone, you really connect with them. Um, and I mean, I'm very similar in that I, when I'm looking at people, projects, investments, whatever, I am extremely optimistic. And sometimes it's a problem, but also sometimes it's, it is the secret advantage, right? Yeah. It's like, well, if this is wildly successful, what's going to happen next? And, um, sometimes you have to ask those questions because what happens next is bad. And sometimes you have to ask those questions because what happens next is amazing, but you only get there if you prepare for success. Actually, it's funny. My, my dad gave me advice early in the early days of Wistia and, um, you know, he asked what we wanted Wistia to be. And I said, dad. I just want to make $60,000 a year. That's, that's my dream. Brendan and I can each make 30 we will be all good. And he's like, I think you should shoot higher. And I was like, no, dad, you don't understand. Like, this is, this is what we're doing. We're trying to run our own business. And he's like, well, what happens if it's really successful? Like, what happens if you blow by that? What's going to happen? And I remember thinking like, hmm, we're never going to be able to do support for all these people. And then we'll get permission to build other things. But like our customers, it just... It's a whole line of thinking, I think, that's like really interesting. Um, that if you're too pessimistic, you never do, right? Like, you can't build the future if you're not optimistic. So, I get it. No, I appreciate that. And yeah. I really
2: like that story. Because, um, uh, you know, hearing about young Chris, because now, you know, you're sort of like an egomaniac, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's fun to hear about young Chris. And, and I, I totally agree. Like uh, when we first met too, we were becoming successful, but people still don't quite know about us, you know? And so we were talking a lot about how, how to get the story out there and how to talk about what you had been through and and what you had accomplished. And, and also at the same time too, I remember you introduced us, you introduced me to Colin at IO, and we became friends too. It's kind of the same thing. Um, I think a lot of it too, is the power of like, You know, coming up together. Um, I mean, I think Wistia was always a bit ahead, but, you know, the optimism around this sort of shared, you know, journey, um, sharing what you're going through, the struggles, but also seeing the whole line of history of, you know, all the challenges you've had and all the challenges you've overcome. So um, I, I think it's the fun part. And so that's kind of the thing that I really like about investing although i definitely don't consider myself to be a professional investor by any means and also you know i think um it's we're in sort of like a crazy bull run kind of environment so everyone thinks they're a genius uh, and the greatest investor of all time so all of those are very important caveats so i don't want anyone to listen to this and think that that i actually believe i'm some kind of investing genius i my but you friend, want the deal
0: flow right like if someone's <laughs> listening like and like walter chen amazing angel investor like you want to talk
2: to them right yeah that's right well that's really funny <laughs> because i think that's that's absolutely the case um I, uh, so I have like two kind of different experiences. Um, one is, you know, I, I'm like everybody else. I'm like, why are these people on Twitter more famous than me? Right. You know what I mean? I'm be- I'm not the world's greatest investor, but I'm better than, you know, 90% of these people out there, <laughs> especially the ones that are famous on Twitter. So I was like, I got to be famous on Twitter. So I did a great tweet. Okay. It blew up. And Wait, um, what was the tweet? Was like- what was the tweet? I think we need to find this tweet and you have to read it on into, <laughs> right? All right, right? All right. So yeah. uh, we need to read I found it. Tweet. I found it. I found okay. it. Okay. Okay, I said, uh, first, I live with the Flex, right? I cut $300,000. That's a lot of money, okay? $300,000 into startup <laughs> small businesses and funds in 2020. I was going to do an AMA, but I thought it would make more sense for everyone else to give me advice because I have no idea what I'm doing. So first of all, great tweet. I mean...
0: <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how did it perform, Walter?
2: It did great. It did great. I mean, I think it got like, you know, over 100,000 views or something like that. I mean, it, was, it, was, it, it did pretty well. Um, And it generated deal flow. But the funny, like, so I got a lot of inbound. But the funny thing is, and this is the lesson that, you know, I should have learned. I mean, this is obvious, but it was all people who are like, hey, worst investor in the world. Like, you'll give money to anybody. Like, give it to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I got like a ton of DMs like, oh, yeah, like, just give me like five grand or like, give me 10 grand or whatever. (laughs) I thought people would appreciate the counter positioning and appreciate how clever it was. But instead, you know, they just took it for for face value. Classic Twitter. And then...
0: You're sitting there making these deals and still not getting as famous as you should be, Walter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was like the one half. And then the other half was, so I recently uh, participated in YC's Demo Day. First of all, you know, putting aside all the sort of baggage around Demo Day, people have their own opinions about Y Combinator. But they have this internal thing called Bookface, which is Facebook, but backwards. It's like an internal kind of like wiki thing and discussion board for Y Combinator founders. And the whole thing that makes Y Combinator, well, one of the things that makes them so powerful is that they share a lot of information um, and they will like blackball investors and stuff like that. And so, you know, if you wanna invest in YC companies, which, you know, there's a lot of great ones, then you better be good to YC founders. So, I mean, the first company I invested in as an angel investor was a company called Farmstead um, in like 2016. They do a grocery delivery on demand and uh, it took them a while to get started, but eventually they went into Y Combinator and uh, they've been working really hard over the past few years. During the pandemic, obviously, grocery delivery was a really important Nece- you know, pe- it was a necessity, necessity especially yeah. in San Francisco, where there was a pretty severe um, shelter in place. So that's when, you know, their services became much needed and demand like went pretty crazy for them. Um, and they were really well positioned to handle it because they had like sort of this built from the ground up like grocery delivery stack, whereas Instacart you know delivers on top of uh, existing grocery stores, and that created a logistical bottleneck for them. So they were able to scale up, and then this year they I think they want to launch in like you know 14 new cities or something like that. They're also in Charlotte, um, but that experience of funding them before they went into Y Combinator, you know, being one of the first checks in being a friend with them, having them go through Y Combinator and then investing in like four subsequent rounds. Um, and then just being, you know, having that close relationship with them and building our friendship over time was like one of the core experiences of why I wanted to invest more. Um, and then the other is, uh, is that they, they said good things about me in bookface When I participated in YC Demo Day, a lot of people said, you know, like, hey, we have a small angel allocation, but you know, I looked you up in Bookface or whatever. People said that you're really supportive, you know, and you're uh, a good guy to have, you know, on on our side or whatever. And so, I feel like this is the kind of the flip side, which is like it's like the slow burn, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like mm-hmm. the investments that you make over time uh, that are meaningful, and maybe your reputation is only known by you know a handful of people, but um, if you can make a difference, and uh, you know, and those companies become successful, and you know, it's part of like a meaningful experience. So. I'm not some kind of like you know guy who's like getting on all the most competitive deals or anything like that. But it's gratifying to uh, you know have people um, make room for you and and uh, and welcome you in, and then hopefully also in vice versa, like you can contribute to that. So I'm trying to explore both angles, both like the uh, instant gratification and like the long term. So I may do more um, more more tweeting too to. Uh, to get my uh, instant gratification, but we'll see.
0: <laughs> well, it's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's back to what you were saying before too, I think about um, trying to leave every relationship in a positive light, right? Like having every conversation and then trying to walk away, even if you're saying no to a deal. Or I think similarly, even with, I think about this with hiring. Like if you're not going to hire someone, how you treat the people you're not hiring is like as important as how you treat the people you're hiring. Um, and if there's a bunch of people walking around there and they're like, "Yeah, Walter didn't invest in my thing, but he was really helpful, or he was really kind, or give me feedback, or whatever," like that. It sounds like that added up. In this case, you ended up in Bookface. Boom! <laughs> now you're in the hot deals. Um, there you go. Let's talk about personalities a little bit. So, have you have you ever done the Predictive Index? Do you know what that is? I don't think so. Okay. So the predictive index is just like a different way of squaring your personality. It takes like two minutes, and then you get this result. And it's okay. usually shockingly on the money. Yeah. Um, and
2: you're a certified uh, predictive index uh, questioner. I've done it. And
0: I, I've, well, I've done it. I'm yeah. not going to give you the questions on the podcast. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. And you're like,
2: and it's only $200,000. I'll send you uh, the invoice after. I'm
0: like selling this on here. <laughs> um, no, but anyway, my personality in there is called Maverick maverick okay Okay. (laughs) and it's like somebody who is unafraid to fail and you know moves really fast and pushes on hard and big things there's a lot of downsides obviously Mm. which is like rigorous organization and stuff was lacking and you know there's (laughs) there's many other issues um but like how do you think about your your entrepreneurial like personality Mm. when you think about how what you look for and i say this also as like I know you really well. You've done all these great and amazing things, uh, but you're pretty like under the radar, I would say, to, to, to put it in a different way than you just said it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Is that why you invited like uh, 15 uh, guests to this podcast before inviting me? Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you for having me on to raise my profile. The, uh, um, I, uh, well, y- you know, I mean, as a filmmaker uh, or, you know, now CEO, made films you know 20 years ago um you you've seen the up series you know the up series mm-hmm. right yep. yeah yeah. I, I find the up series just obviously it's just one of the most inspiring uh you know documentary series ever made for people who don't know you know in in britain they had like 13 kids or whatever and they started filming them from seven years old and filmed them every seven years and actually the director he just, just passed died away right? it, yeah and they yeah. want it,
0: and the subjects want it to continue right
2: i think so some of them yeah. Uh, hopefully it will at least one more um yeah but uh, yeah, on the recent one, which was like sixty three up, one of the guys was like, you know, um, like it took me sixty three years like to know myself, you know. Wow. And, That's great. And yeah, yeah, and I felt it was very powerful because I've seen his whole story, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, that just I, the thing I I think I I think I have some you know self awareness, but I I struggle to sort of know myself, and and I think the the way it manifests is then. Um, you often compare yourselves to other entrepreneurs, um, and you should be you're like, Oh, I should be more like Chris, or you know, I should be more like um, Colin at customer i o or whatever. So I think this is kind of an area where you both want to kind of acknowledge the things that you're good at, but like make room for areas that you can and should improve in. and And these things, too shift a lot over time, you know, especially like you know, what you're good at ma- you're
0: saying shifts over time, or like what or what you're trying to improve in?
2: i I think I guess what powers you? you know? Um, so yeah, I continue to try to find my angle um, and find, you know, where I can really be effective. But I think, you know, some of the areas where I'm I'm strong are, are at kind of like positioning. I mean, I, I would say like traditionally, like marketing disciplines, like positioning, I think is kind of a key one. And then like storytelling, but also then like analytical, uh, taking a more analytical approach. So like the cross discipline, because I know how to code and, you know, I grew up doing a lot of math and science and stuff like that. So um, taking a more analytical approach to it, I think is is an area I'm strong. And then and then I think I've gotten a lot better over the years, like working with people, building teams. Um, I think the one of the core things for me, and relating back to the stuff we have talked about, is building teams and uh, supporting and believing in people. And uh, I think that is probably the biggest driver for you know for my continued success. I would like to get better at. Product, because I think product is obviously an area with massive amounts of leverage. Um, and uh, product is an area where I've been kind of traditionally probably not as strong. So I think I think that's more important today than ever. Yeah, I, I think the thing I want to jump in on there is
0: is you have talked about your own evolution,
2: um, which I think is
0: obviously we all go through. We're, we should be constantly evolving, right? And ideally, like I think that's yeah. like the most interesting thing. It's the most fulfilling thing. Um, and you've also talked about building teams. And I think animals is a really nice example of that. Um, in that, like, yeah, I said, okay, you started animals, fast growing thing, and you instantly gave credit to Devin and Haley who are running animals now. But what was that actually like? Because I've told other people this story, um, <laughs> and um, you may not believe it, but I have. And what they say is, well, how did he? How did he give up control? Like, how did yeah. you? And and I think a lot of people are very, very afraid of giving up control, especially mm. startup founders, because often to your exactly what you just said in the early days, like, I'm going to work the hardest. I'm going to figure this out. And then they, if yeah. they do figure it out, they're like, I figured it out because I'm working so hard and because I'm the person who's making right, the right. decisions. And so then they ha- inherently have trouble handing over responsibility to other people or especially as completely as you have. So how have you thought about this? how did you get comfortable with this? And how do you know that you're good at it now? it's a good
1: question actually can you also just say what animals is for listeners who don't know
2: definitely um so animals is a content marketing agency and uh now we're like you know 90 people or something like that so it's grown and and it started like five years ago so what we do is mostly focus on b2b SaaS companies like wistia and we work with wistia uh and we help them produce content mostly long-form content for their company blog so uh yeah that's our area of focus so i would say uh there are kind of two sides. There's like the side of the story from my perspective. And then there's sort of the story from, you know, Devin and Haley's perspective. And I think when I tell the story from my perspective is often, like, oh, I did X, Y, Z. Um, but, you know, obviously none of this could have happened without all the things that they did. We have a uh, um, like a, you know, executive coach. Um, her name is Cecilia. And she was really important in smoothing out, you know, the whole process. Um, because I think Giving giving up control and, uh, as you say, is like really, really hard. And uh, so it t- requires patience on the side of the people who are wanting to wrest control and take over. Um, and so they need to uh, sort of be patient, but also understand, like, have, you know, and some amount of empathy for what, you know, I'm going through or whatever. Not that it's about me, but a lot of it is kind of end up. Well, about, but there's, you know,
0: if there's someone who has control and they're giving it up, then obviously that's it. A- it's a hard dynamic to like think through or work through. Um, exactly. So you are giving up something, obviously.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I think from my perspective, at least there were two kind of main drivers. One is this is a, uh, as an agency in a fast growing agency, still quite linear in its growth. And, uh, and it's also very people heavy. Um, and so I never really was great at managing large teams or managing people, et cetera. Um, so I never really wanted to be super still doing this long, long term. And uh, fortunately, with Devin and Haley, they were, it was something that, that they were really excited about doing. Um, so that, that was one component. And the other thing is, from the very beginning, I, I had this vision or idea or hope that we could do it in a productized way. And so whereas a lot of agencies name it like Walter Chen agency or whatever, you know, or some variation of that, or they put the, at least make themselves the face of the agency and the primary sort of like, you know, torchbearer of the brand or whatever. Um, I never really wanted to be like the face of it. I always tried to like put other people uh, in the front when it came to interfacing with customers or like, you know, doing sales or whatever. And uh, I think that made it a lot easier because at the end of the day, you know, it's a lot of agencies have trouble making that transition because the person who's the face is driving most of the deal flow and the thought leadership and all that stuff. Um, And so there were kind of a few key hires. One, we hired Jimmy Daly, who now runs Superpath. But... (laughs) That made me realize, oh, wow, there's this ability to hire someone who's like more senior, who can bring a lot of experience. Because in the past, like I never really valued outside experience. Um, So that was a huge one. And then when Devin and Haley came on, they basically totally transformed the business. And the thing about Devin that stood out was, uh, and I mentioned this, was Devin said, I want to be CEO. And so I was like, well, that's great. And uh There was kind of this vague, obviously, this like vague edge of being threatened by that. But at the same time, too, I feel like um, if you're going to be CEO, you kind of need to be a psychopath a little bit. I mean, Chris, you're obviously a bit of a psychopath. (laughs) Uh I am, right? (laughs) Um, So, uh, so, you know, you know, game recognized game, right? I'm learning so much
1: from Savage. (laughs) So,
2: so that, so that was another piece. So Devin said, oh, I want to be CEO. And I was like, okay, that means you can plausibly be CEO. And then with Haley, who also worked at I Done This, um, my previous previous company, I thought together that they were an incredible team. So it wasn't like I was like giving control to some person, I felt like I was giving control to a you know, to a team of people that I really believed in. Um, and so that was a powerful thing. Now, leading into, um, you know, let's say, February and March of 2020. It was, you know, we were like looking at like this kind of handover, progressive handover. We had all this plans and Asana, nothing was checked off. You know what I mean? It was like do X, Y, Z, you know, have a conversation with all these people and set up like this kind of like, uh, you know, transition plan. And then like none of the tasks were done. I mean, that's like very typical for, uh, for me, you know, people being quite un- impatient with me. Um, and then the pandemic hit, right? So I think that agencies, uh, marketing agencies, a lot of the ones I've talked to, Bore the brunt of uh, some of the initial budget cuts um, because you know teams didn't were, were trying to protect their teams they didn't want to lay people off we yeah. were a big you know line item so um, we got chopped off and we lost let's say a quarter of our business in a month and so that put me into sort of like this panic mode and there was like this you know kind of question of like oh would the transition now actually happen um, and then so this was the moment of like clarity or whatever at least on my side which was you know imagining that if i took over and fixed this problem right that um that i was depriving devin and haley of what could be sort of a transformational moment you know where they encountered possibly the greatest challenge you know of you know working for 10 years and then and then overcoming it so if i de- there one this potential of depriving them of that opportunity and two it's let's say that i did hand it over um and they made it through, then that would give me such conviction about the handover, you know what I mean, that there was like sort of no turning back from that. And uh, so that, that made me realize that, you know, that that's what we should do. So we went through with the handover in the midst of the pandemic and probably the worst like month or two in the history of the company. And, you know, they totally crushed it. So, so kind of when I look at them now, I'm like, it's like, it's like uh, and, and this should always be the case, but, you know, I mean, you know, I'm kind of like an egomaniac, obviously, but, you know, I look at them and I think, wow, you know, these are founders, you know, these are people who yeah. did something really hard and, well, and, yeah. uh, and I don't really know what, and they know better than me, you know, what the decisions that we need to make are. I mean, I can still give advice, et cetera, but um, that's kind of like the change of perspective that took place as a result of something very traumatic.
0: I, yeah, I just, I feel like the analysis though here is like classic Walter for me. Which is like, all right, the game recognized game. Like not everyone (laughs) wants to step up and say they're going to be CEO or believes that they can be. And like that, you're like, this is like, I could be threatened by this or I could look at this as like, wait a sec, like this person who is doing great work, like they could step up into this position. And then I think with the shift of the pandemic, like, I don't know if you, you know, the story, the CEO of Patagonia, Rose Marcario stepped down in like June, 2020. And Mm. everyone's like, why are you stepping down now? She apparently was, you know, great CEO, done a great job and was, you know, working with the founder, but she had, I think she'd been there for five or six years. And she said that she had wanted to step down. And then when the pandemic hit, she's like, if I am the person who leads through this, how will we get another person to come in and lead? And so I think it's like almost exactly the same thing you're saying, but it's very hard to recognize that in the moment. But it's is, it is it's cool to hear into the way that you thought about that and it, even still think about it in terms of like your own strengths and weaknesses in the decision. Because I do think that that's the thing we don't always hear, right? Like we see the outside version of this, which is this, you know, it's successful. They're running it. He's doing all these different things. But like what that moment actually was like uh it seems like it was a challenging interesting (laughs) hard like and like ultimately you had to make a decision quickly because either it's going to be jumping in and trying to save this right the ship or letting someone else do it
2: yeah yeah absolutely obviously you always caveat by saying you know that we're still the lucky ones obviously from the pandemic there are people who suffered a lot more that being said um although that being said is like the worst transition because it's like leads into the bad thing that you shouldn't say but (laughs) you know it's is that uh that yes, we felt like, you know, that we were going to lose our business, you know, we felt like we were being existentially threatened. And I think this kind of goes to one thing that, you know, I've learned from watching you and, um, and learning from you, which is, um, you know, from day one, I think you're an exceptionally kind of like long term thinker. Um, And whereas, you know, I'm a little more kind of like a lizard brain or whatever. And uh, that's been the reason why you've been running Wistia, you know, since you graduated college, and why Wistia has been able to compound so much over time. And um, it's easy to say long-term thinking and I think like this was an example of kind of like that I was able to put it into practice a bit and think beyond just the immediate moment of like, oh, you know, what what do we need to do to survive today or um, uh, that kind of thing and so, um, you know, all credit goes to Chris for, you know, what, yeah, no, <laughs> uh, so, so, but, <laughs> learning from Chris. And that's why yeah. you're
0: on the show. What did
2: I learn from Chris? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but, but yeah, n- uh, no joke. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, seeing, how you operate with you over the long term, I think has been, you know, a big inspiration for me. So, uh, but yeah, this was one of the places where, you know, uh, we were able to do something and, and, and now the company is, is, uh, is growing well and, and, uh, flourishing.
0: That's awesome. Um, so I have one more question for you, which is obviously, you know, what the show is about you and I have known each other for years. You've seen me get very, very loud many times.
2: Yeah. I'm wondering what, what has you talking to loud these days, Walter? <sighs> yeah 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 it's a good question well we talked we touched on a lot of them naps um and uh <laughs> yeah that one that's a big one um hmm what has me talking too loud let me think um i mentioned why Commentary's demo day right and like people are ripping on it you know online because you know on twitter people are ripping on it a bit cuz it's like you know is kind of like over the hill a little bit and then also people don 't like all the high valuations, you know, and then uh you know people don't like this sense of uh you know the founders come on and they have there's a, the, the power dynamic has shifted, you know investors are used to getting on and like I'm the one asking the questions you know? yeah, um, but you know you get on with some of these y c founders and they'll be like, so what do you bring to the table you know um so the thing that has me excited um and i this sounds so lame um, is I, I was like, okay, I'm going to participate in demo day. And like, I set up like 30 meetings or whatever. And I did, I did uh last Thursday, I did like 13 hours of calls. And uh I mean, really, I did feel inspired by the founders. Honestly, it's like so lame, but um I was like, wow, all these founders are so impressive and also most of them, when they got on a call with you, you know, they've been on 12 hours of calls and they had like brought a lot of enthusiasm. They were talking too loud. There was just a lot of loud talking and, uh, and I ended up investing in probably way too many of these companies because I was just like so excited. I was like, wow, these are really good. I kept going to Kathy, my wife, and being like, this is a no-brainer. This is like a, this is like a can't lose. Um, and uh, I was like, I, you know, I just kept talking about these people that I met. So, so, yeah, man, I, was, I just got really excited. Uh, and I could, go, I could talk more about the, the founders that I met. But, yeah, it, it, was, it was fun and exciting. But the, the, the flip is that, you know, it's like you're excited you set up like 12 hours of meetings. Then it's the day you have to do the meetings. Then you get super depressed. I'm like, oh crap, like, why did I do this? Then you have the meetings and they turn out better than you expected. And then I'm like, oh, I want to invest in all of them. And then a week later, I'm kind of like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I, you know, you, I, I'm like this, you know, that's, that's part of my problem. I, there's a little too much of this, but.
0: You know what yeah. though? I think that, that kind of brought us into your world there, <laughs> of like, what is it like to be Walter <laughs> Chen? And it's like, well, I'm pumped about this. This is horrible. This is amazing. I, I, and also, I know that you, you like to say both sides, right? Like, what's the upside? What's the downside? That's how you like to talk. That's how you like to think. Mm. Um, and I think that came through here. So look, Walter, thank you. Thank you for being on uh, Talking Too Loud. Thanks for getting so excited. Thanks for bringing us in, man. <laughs>
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks for, you know, restating some of the things I said in ways that made him sound coherent and sane. Um, I really appreciate that. And uh, you kind of, you dialed it back a little bit so that I could amp it up to the next level. I appreciate that. Oh, of course. That's what I'm here to do, my (laughs) friend.
0: All right, take it easy, dude. All right, thanks. Bye. Man, Walter's got a lot going on up there. His his brain <laughs> moves very rapidly.
1: It does. God bless him, it does. It really does. Uh, I was trying to keep up. I was trying to keep up.
0: He moves fast. He's also, he, I, I love how Walter is like so excitable and he's accomplished all these things and also very humble. Like he constantly is caveating his opinions. There, there right? were a
1: lot of contradictions within Walter Chen. You know, he was like, He's like, I'm. I'm not the best, but I'm the best, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like be, but then he'd be like, "But I'm the worst." Yeah. <laughs> it, it was just uh, there were yeah, it was kind of like a roller coaster. But um, clearly, like loves just loves people, yes. loves people, and like really cares about people and and wants to help people. So that came through.
0: Yes. Yes. I think he's like, um. I agree with everything you just said. Like he loves people. He loves building things. He loves new stuff. I just love how transparent he was. And he's like, I meet with all these founders. I'm like, ah, these are amazing. Oh my <laughs> God, I got to invest in all these things. And it's like, well, no one talked me down. So like a week later, I'm like, um, was that the right decision? Well, we'll find out in 10 years. Cause that's how angel investing works. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was a little like, there was like a Muppet energy when he was talking about like the back-to-back meetings with, with founders, but, um, I get that. Like, I think it is really it, it's cool to kind of to like be in pitch meetings and be like, "Yeah, that is that is a great idea." And then you kind of like come out of the haze and you're like, "What did I just sign up for?" Yeah. Oh no.
0: But it's also funny because I think like we all need to know our own strengths, right? And like actually, like for him, I think that is one of his superpowers. Like he rattled off a few of the companies he's invested in that have all done extremely well. But like obviously, it's working right? Like paying attention to his instincts and what's getting him excited is what's working for him. Yeah. And I, and I think that we, it's easy to forget that like, um, for all of us, like try to pay attention to what our own superpowers are and what like one person might think are our quirks are actually like our advantages is like a really important part of like figuring out how to navigate our careers and our lives. So I feel like he's just such a great example of that. And he's so transparent that he's bringing us all along on his journey, which is just fun. And I mean, Walter's the best, I love Walter.
1: Yeah, it was also just nice to see you like hanging out with your buddy.
0: Yeah, with with my buddy, buddy. with my buddy. With Um, your buddy. Well, if you wanna be my buddy, please rate and (laughs) review this show. Yeah, We want your feedback, we wanna hear from you. Um, So wherever you listen to podcasts, rate and review it, it helps us get the word out there. If you have feedback, questions, you wanna send us a voice memo, send it to us at ttlpod at wistia.com. And uh, we'll see you soon, internet.
1: (laughs) See you soon, internet. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia, hosted by Chris Savage, produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.